millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Hello, quick note for me, Royfield, before we start the show. Today's episode has a few minor audio issues. And cutting a long story short, um, this is because I'm a little bit of a one-man band and I do try and get these shows out in a timely manner. Hopefully it won't disrupt your enjoyment of the show too much. Uh, but what, what I will do starting from next week is institute a different editing regime and also really impress upon the pundits that they have the correct equipment. So this should alleviate any audio issues. Hi, hello and welcome. This is Mid-Atlantic and I'm Royful Brown. I'm sat in Birmingham and today, for a change, the weather has been glorious. Now today, we're joined by Emma Burnell, UK journalist in London. We have Logan Phillips, a political pollster in Washington, D.C. And bringing up the rear, we have political pundit and man of many opinions in Manchester, Corey Bernard. Now today, we're going to delve into a political moment which could well prove pivotal. In America's political landscape. Ohio voters are turning out in force for a rare August special election. The reason it could have huge implications on abortion rights in the state. Ali Vitali is there for us. Tonight in Ohio, a stunning win for abortion advocates after a proxy battle over the issue. Voters rejecting a ballot measure that would have required a 60% threshold to amend the state's constitution rather than just a simple majority. Top Republicans had backed the change, known as issue one on the ballot. If you want to change the law, change the law. You can do that with a simple majority. But in the Constitution, we should have a higher standard. But opponents argued issue one was only designed to make it harder to enshrine abortion rights protections in the state's Constitution. Ohioans will vote on that in November. The GOP Secretary of State recently saying issue one is 100 percent about blocking abortion protections. Issue one opponents sensed energy on the ground. Folks are energized, folks are angry, and they're seeing this as their opportunity to really have their voice heard. 
Tonight's results come against the national backdrop of Republicans in red states losing referendums on abortion in the past year since the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. Issue 1, a Republican proposed constitutional amendment, faced a resounding defeat this week in the recent special election. It was widely perceived as an attempt to hinder an upcoming referendum on abortion rights. Issue 1 aimed to elevate the threshold for future constitutional amendments from a simple majority to 60%. The initiative saw nearly 3 million Ohioans casting their votes. An impressive 57% rejected issue one, solidifying a 14-point lead for the no side. President Joe Biden characterized the Republican-backed move as a blatant effort to curtail women's health care decisions. The election turnout was particularly remarkable, with the number of voters participating in the Ohio measure nearly doubling those of last year's major statewide races. Let's come to you first off, Logan. First, this has been a a resounding defeat for those who are trying to curtail the rights of women to choose their own health care. In terms of what the opinion poll said and the final vote, what level of change or variance was there? Uh, There were a few polls out there that showed it close. um, And there were a few polls out there that sold it a landslide. And it was kind of interesting contrast. There's nothing in between. And it became a landslide. I didn't feel like we had enough polls to get a proper read on it. It just seemed likely to me that it would be a landslide based off all the types of votes we've had every time abortion has been on the ballot. And admittedly, in this case, there was a little more going on, although that was definitely the main thing. It just gets defeated by such big margins. And it's true even in really red states like Kansas. Now, Ohio, former top swing state, has become a bit of a red state, but it's still a lot bluer than Kansas. So could you just run us through some of the other places which have had special ballot initiatives, etc.? since Dobbs, which all have resoundingly gone against those c- trying to curtail the rights of women. So Kansas, which you mentioned earlier, was probably the, the one that got the most attention last cycle because this is a state where everyone just assumed it was pro-life. That had been something that politicians successfully campaigned on for decades. When there was a referendum put up, it got beat by like 20 points or so, and it showed Democrats having an amazing for Kansas November afterwards and re-electing a Democratic governor. The other big one we had was in Michigan, because of a law passed either in the 1800s or early 1900s, once Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was immediately going to be banned completely in Michigan, which is hugely, uh, is a big misalignment compared to the state's politics. And Gretchen Whitmer made the entire campaign about that, the governor of Michigan, very effectively, which helped her win a landslide. And she got a referendum on the ballot to um, completely uh, remove that law and introduce some strong um, protections for abortion. We've also seen it pass easily in places like California, which isn't a surprise. And beyond that, just when it's been a major theme of the election, Democrats have been consistently overperforming. Emma, the rejection of the proposal is a significant win for abortion rights supporters who sought to prevent the Republican-controlled state legislature from imposing severe restrictions on abortion. For those who maybe are just looking at this and saying, how did a constitutional amendment How did that end up being a victory for abortion rights activists? Could you just tell us why the two things are linked in this case? Abortion was not technically on the ballot here. What the ballot initiative was about was trying to impose a supermajority for any referendum. So a referendum would have to pass a bar of 60% to change the constitution of the state. But what happened was the reason that this was going to be put through was that there was a plus 50% polling majority for a ballot initiative that's coming up to change the state constitution in November in Ohio. 
but sub 60%. So this was the, the Republicans attempting to try to make sure that vote couldn't pass the restrictions that would be put on through this vote. So it was basically trying to change the rules in the middle of the game, something that they have done in other circumstances, they keep saying. So this was ostensibly a vote about how difficult to make it to change the state's constitution. But if you look at what the advertising of both sides was saying, it, it was entirely being fought on abortion solely from the Democrats and then abortion and other culture wars issues from the Republicans. Logan, hopefully you've got these uh, numbers in front of you, but could you give us a relative snapshot of where the American public were when the Roe versus Wade was struck down? And then give us a direction of travel in terms of the opinion polls. Yeah, for a very long time, Americans were split almost 50-50. It was something people were pretty evenly divided for, lining a little bit more towards pro-choice. And that had become true more over time, especially as young voters started to lean more in that direction a little more aggressively than they used to. But it was an issue that kind of helps Republicans. You know, even though there were some signs for those that were following politically that abortion was in danger, the average American was you know, just assumed it was safe. The other side was a lot more motivated, especially evangelicals and turnout. There's been a dramatic shift on that front. For one, people like might not like the idea of abortion being legal or might like the idea of abortion being illegal in theory. But when they see it in reality, there's a lot of complications about unique horror stories where someone you know, needs medical help, but can't get it because it's classified as an abortion. Or maybe even under certain specific situations, they're not able to fit the legal standard of rape. And so it gets a lot more complicated. And that has just dramatically changed the polling. You know, and sometimes you have as much of a 20% gap up from 2% in terms of people favoring it being legal in most to all cases versus legal in most to all cases. You know, even more than that, there's an enthusiasm gap. So this is the type of thing that will bring people out to both that otherwise might be on the sidelines, especially in non-presidential years, uh, because that's when people vote, right? When they know it's going to directly affect them, that's the game changer. And Americans especially have always been very focused on freedom. Um, that's a central part of how they see the world. And so when they feel their freedoms are infringed upon, that's one of the worst things you can do politically, and you're always going to pay a price for it. Gotcha. Emma, the election drew, as we said, an unusually large amount of Ohio voters for an August election with almost 3 million votes cast. This is a very contentious issue. It's still live. But how exactly can the Democrats harness this going forward, bearing in mind that we are, what's uh, less than 18 months away from another presidential election? Same way they did in 2022, basically. The Republican, the salience thing, which I think is what Logan was just talking about, has flipped, basically. Whereas previously, pro-abortion voters... It wasn't the thing driving them to the polls. It wasn't the thing motivating them to go out and stand in line and vote. Now it is. And Republicans kind of banking the win a bit too much in many ways. Whereas before they got the Dobbs decision, they were, you know, chafing at the bit. Now they've got that. They feel like they've banked it. They're moving on. So it's less of a turnout issue for them. Now, Republicans could probably prod them more into, hey, they're going to overturn or overturning a bit. But I think that in terms of the motivation, it really is now currently with the pro-choice and thus Democratic side of the ledger. It will depend a lot on the field of candidates and who the Republican nominee is, if it's Trump. There'll be lots of other things that might motivate both sides to go out. He is either way quite a motivational candidate for some people, for or against. Polarizing. 
Well, polarizing, yes, but then, but also people who really love him really, really just try and desperately go out and vote for him. The question will be how many soft non-Trump Republicans, how many independents can be motivated to vote against him? And those voters may also be motivated because now of abortion too. It's a good kind of two for one punch. Logan, both sides of the debate poured substantial funds into campaigning with something like $32 million spent, mostly from out-of-state donors. Can you tell us some of the bodies or some of the organizations that um, help financially fuel the race? Yeah, you had Matt LaRose driving it on the Republican. Um, he's the Secretary of State. who You might be hearing his name a lot uh, in the months to come because he is running for the Senate. He's probably the light front runner to take on uh, Democrat Sherrod Brown in the race that may very well end up deciding which party uh, holds the Senate majority. Um, so he really stakes a lot of claim on this and it helped organize some Republican groups behind it. And uh, it ended up falling short. Now, I think what we saw here, you know, once you have enough money on both ends, even if the side against passing this had a financial advantage, you know, Ohioans were well aware of this piece of legislation. It's what drove them out to vote. I mean, they knew enough to make a decision and they just didn't want it. I think above all else, it was abortion. But I think there's also some people that just didn't like the trickery of, hey, let's just change the law for this very specific issue that we don't want to see happen. Because you really do see a mismatch in Ohio sometimes between the party they're voting for right now and some of the things they want. Because on culture reasons, they've moved to the right, excluding abortion, obviously. But, you know, they're still in favor of blue collar policies that help workers raise the minimum wage. And this is the way they get that stuff done, even if the Republican state majority in the Senate, state Senate and the state legislature isn't going to pass it. Just another question for you, Logan. Uh, so this summer, like something like 14 states were considering, are considering around 50 measures that would introduce new obstacles for citizen ballot initiatives. And, and proponents claim that you actually should raise the bar so we don't have excessive direct democracy. They're not wrong, are they? We had in Britain a constitutional measure, Brexit, which was decided on about, what, less than 2%. And, and there's a massive argument that that should have been a 60% argument. So in this regard, they're not actually wrong, are they? I mean, there's trade-offs. I don't think there's a clear right or wrong answer. You just have to decide what which are your goals here. Do you want to have the population of as much influence as possible in terms of kind of the direct democracy, then that's easier. You know, you might get less things done, but you're going to have less potentially radical mistakes um, like Brexit. But, you know, it's also different, though, right? Because Ohio is a much smaller state than the whole U.S. or the whole United Kingdom. And the U.S. doesn't have referendums nationally. But if we did, then I, I'd fully agree we need something bigger when we're dealing with that many people. Um, there's also other options. I think Nevada, you have to do it twice, but it's 50 percent, two cycles in a row. Corey. I'm always really shocked, surprised, stunned, and just puzzled, really. The fact that abortion is such a live issue in America, whereas if we look at in the UK, it's not a political live one. And it isn't in, let's say, Catholic Europe. It's not one in Spain or in Italy, etc. The, the Catholic Church might be against it, but kind of accept political status quo. And those countries have voted to give women abortion rights. Just so we can compare this with America, why do you think that this is not a political football within the United Kingdom? Now, my instinctive reaction is always to think, of, well, it's just because America is more polarized, but I don't think that's uh, sophisticated enough. I wonder whether it's more to do with, I think it's more to do with how people see the state. It's, it's a strange one, but it's, it's just almost, it's the reverse of what you'd think, because obviously in Europe, I know it, it varies, but generally speaking, there's more 
there's more of a there's more of an embrace of the state and of the state to do things than there is in 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 America. Not expected to be the other way around, but I think it's I think it's to do with how people view the state. And I, going back to what Logan was saying before, this whole idea of freedom, it, it's a much more of a live issue there. And I think this touches on, for Bill's side, it touches on something really fundamental when it comes to freedom. So if you're pro-life, it touches on the fundamental freedom to be alive. And if you're pro-choice, it touches on what would be considered the fundamental freedom to do what you want with your own body. So because we don't have that sort of obsession for of a better word with sort of freedom in Europe generally, Britain and Western Europe generally, isn't it isn't as it uh it's not as much of a driver. Whereas in a country that sort of prizes freedom above all else, and because that touches on something so fundamental, either one side the freedom to live, or on the other side the freedom to manage your own body, I think that is a large part of why it's such it's much more of a live issue there than it is here. Mm. When you, when you look at the history of this being an issue in the United States, and initially it was the Republican Party that were pro-abortion, it was the Democrats that were anti. And in the 70s, the two positions flipped. Ronald Reagan, when he was the governor of California, wrote legislatively the bill to get abortion passed in California. <laughs> Logan, I'm going to let you end with this. I'm endlessly fascinated, as I said, somewhat confused about this, and I spend a lot of time in America. But how much is the religious right still a factor in this? I don't really hear um, those televangelists tub thumping about this in the way that, let's say, they did in, in the 1980s and the 1990s. Just give us some of the constituencies who are actually pro curtailing a woman's right to choose. Catholic Church is a huge part of it. And, and maybe that's one of the differences between the U.S. and U.K. as well, um, is there's more Catholics, I think, in the U.S. But I, I also think, you know, evangelicals are still talking about it to a degree. I mean, they're more focused on immigration. There's more of a cultural identity now when it comes to their politics than there used to be around 2000 and, you know, before that, certainly. For a lot of voters, like Corey said, right, they view this as a moral issue. Both sides view this as a moral issue. They view it as protecting law. Um, they will make that their uh, up or down vote in the primaries and in the general election. And that's why, you know, of many, many issues, the Republican Party is facing the biggest challenge where there's this huge gap. What will help them electorally, what will appeal to the swing voters and what will win the median voter? Yeah, so a couple of things on what Corey was saying, just to build on. One of the key differences is the difference between UK feminism and US feminism. And it is to do with that role of the state. UK feminism is far more informed by socialism. You don't have to be a socialist to be a UK feminist, but it has much more of a tradition, much more rooted in that tradition. Whereas US feminism is much more liberal and individual liberal feminism. And I think that has made a really big difference in terms of where the feminist movements had an impact and where things just have not become a debate because we've just never gone to that place in terms of women in the state. There is the last word, fan of all things American, Ember now. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Out on the stump, where policy meets the real world. Today, cold and wet. Yet long-term, what to do about global heating. Labour realising the London Mayor's flagship clean air policy, ULES, cost it votes. The Tories have been dining out on their unexpected win in Uxbridge, with all eyes now on the seat, soon to be vacated by Nadine Dorries, mid-Bedfordshire. If climate policies are one of the key talking points of these by-elections, then the mood here in mid-Bedfordshire, likely the next electoral test, is instructive. Of course, tackling climate breakdown is important, but given the short-termism of the ballot box, how to make it a vote winner rather than vote loser? And a lot of right-wingers think they should tone it down. So, in other words, short-termism. The scientists, on the one hand, tell us we can't wait, and the politicians, when they put it to the electorate, decide we're going to have to wait. Well, they're putting economics above what we actually need for the planet. So everything is consumerism. Moving to this side of the Atlantic, Greenpeace this week has criticised the government for its failure to address the climate crisis while simultaneously they say it's pursuing divisive culture wars. This critique follows the surprising Tory victory in the Oxbridge by-election, which was attributed to the opposition to the ultra-low emission zone, or ULES. Uh, The organisation asserts that Sunak's government will be remembered for neglecting climate concerns, especially as extreme weather events become more frequent. And this trend when it comes to extreme weather is not limited to Britain alone. Of course, this summer, we've witnessed wildfires in places like Greece, Canada, and currently in Hawaii. In response to Greenspeed's uh, recent protests at Sunak's home aimed at his plans to expand oil and gas extraction, a stronger political reaction has emerged from Conservative MPs. Subsequently, the government ministers have directed officials to cease engagement with Greenpeace. This raises questions about whether the Tory government is engaged in an ideological culture war against individuals who advocate for climate change. Corey, it seems to me there's been a real mood change in terms of the government's reaction to anything green since they won Oxbridge. Uh, could you just give us a, a snapshot as what happened in that by-election? What was the key campaign issue, uh, but how that managed to maybe give us that surprise result? And then we can then look at the government's reaction post that. 
Yes, so in brief, about three weeks ago, yeah, three, I think three weeks ago today, actually, we had three by-elections in the UK. The Tories were expected to lose one, two, or maybe all three of them. They ended up losing two, and the one that they held on to was Boris Johnson's old seat of Uxbridge. So that was the one they managed to hold on to. Uh, I think Boris Johnson's majority was somewhere in the region of 13,000, and it was slashed to a few hundred. So uh, a few hundred more votes, and that would have been the third one that they would have lost. And so what was taken from that, it seems, in Tory circles is, well, sorry, uh, sorry, just to give a bit of background to that seat and the race there. So uh, the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, has uh, brought plans in to extend the ULES scheme, which is essentially widening out the areas of London where you will be charged if you drive certain polluting vehicles. And it would include that constituency of Uxbridge and South Ryslip. And so pretty much the main issue around that campaign was... On one side, well, pretty much on one side, you have the Conservatives basically saying, vote for us because the horrible mayor of London is trying to charge you £10 a day to use your diesel car or, or, or non-compliant petrol car. And so it was fought on that on that basis. And so because the Tories managed to sneak that victory in by the skin of their teeth, it's then been sort of taken by, or assumed to be taken in certain circles of the Conservative Party that, hey, look, that is something we can win on. That's an issue that really riles people. People don't want to pay extra money to drive their car. And so, therefore, we'll double down on anti-green, interestingly enough. But on the other side, on the Labour side, it sort of made, it sort of, or it seems to have made Labour sort of uh, pull back on their pro-green credentials as well. So, I think that's reading way too much into it. It's a by-election. And also, he did nearly lose. I think you had a, we spoke a few weeks ago and I said, well, they didn't. And the, the, the history books say that they won the by-election. But in reality, they did nearly lose the by-election. So I think they're reading too much into it to say, yes, this is an issue which we can turn around these crazy deficits that we have in the polls to win the next general election. I think it's just a sign of the current Conservative Party. I know this is one, sorry, this isn't what you asked. I'm going on a slightly small tangent, but it'll be brief. I think uh, what we're seeing now is just a Conservative Party who are just, it seems like they've given up and they're just, put, you know, they're just sort of um, holding on to any random little thing which they think they can use as a wedge issue. I don't think this issue is a wedge issue, uh, but that seems to be the way they're going about it. That seems to be how they're interpreting that result. Emma, is it a wedge issue or is it good campaign sense in terms of everyone is expecting Rishi Sunak and the Tories to be routed to the next election. Maybe if they can threaten the British public with draconian green measures everywhere, which are going to impact their purse strings, they might be onto something. I think people are worried about the cost of living. Um, I think ULES did have an effect in that very specific um, seat, which is in Zone 6, Outer London. ULES is quite popular in Central London because air pollution's got better. And for people who like to breathe, that's quite good. I'm still yet to meet a live person that doesn't like to breathe. But anyway. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure Lee Anderson will tell you that, you know, it's, it's a soft metropolitan liberal thing, this liking to breathe stuff. <laughs> Do I think this is going to be what changes the next election? No. But then I don't know what can do that for the Tories. I don't think there is an issue that can do it for the Tories. They are desperate. They look it. They're going to throw as much at the wall as possible. It's going to be the nastiest election probably of my lifetime. And I think what they're trying to do, if you look at the polling that 
was done recently for Channel 4 News, they are predicted at the moment have less than 100 seats. Now, that's not going to happen, but they are trying to stem that tide as much as possible. I don't think they're even trying to win anymore. I think they're just trying to lose as well as they can. Uh, and when I say as well as they can, I don't mean in as most dignified way as they can. <laughs> I want to stay with you, Emma. Corey made the point that Kia Starmer did have a little bit of a go at, at Sadiq Khan over ULES. Everyone has kind of seen that as the issue which actually swung that election is very marginally for, for the Tories. What does this say about Labour's real commitment to green issues? For the sake of one by-election, they can uh, point the finger at the Mayor of London. Well, I think... There are two issues that I have with what's happened since Uxbridge. So two that I have with Keir Starmer and one that I have with Sadiq Khan. Sadiq Khan could have communicated this policy much, much better. 85% of people living in Uxbridge would not have been hit by ULEZ at all. At all. And yet 85% of voters roughly thought they were going to be. It was a, It was a very poorly communicated policy. It's a good policy. It could do with some tinkering around the edges in terms of scrappage schemes, in terms of helping people. I mean, the thing that always slightly annoys me is everyone goes, yeah, you know, if you're a white van man plumber, I don't know a poor plumber, frankly. Plumbers (laughs) afford to get a new bloody van. I think that that was a problem in terms of the way that the policy had been rolled out. But Keir Starmer doesn't need to look this week. He doesn't need to be suddenly going, oh, God, we can't be green. We can't. You know, two years ago, they were talking about having green was in the Labour Party conference slogan. Um, there was a talk of changing the Labour's red rose to a green rose, you know, that this was going to be the big thing. They can't keep chopping and changing. It just looks weak. And, you know, we do have an existential crisis. Somebody is going to have to sort it out. And when you're 20 points ahead in the polls, maybe the risk that you take is going, we're going to be the grown-ups in the room on climate change. And by the way, ULEZ is not particularly a climate change policy. It's a clean air policy and they're different. But obviously... You know, that, that, that's a great distinction to make, but that's completely lost on, on, on people, isn't it? Because people line up on the same side yeah. regarding the it. The other is that one of the other things that Keir Starmer started the year promising was a lot more power going to local politicians, local mayors, um, metro mayors, people like Andy Burnham in Manchester, the Scottish Labour, Welsh Labour. And I'm really in favour of devolution. I, you know, I work for three years for local government think tank. I think it's a good thing to have but much more local powers. But what that means is it's not local powers to do what we tell you. That's not how local devolution works. So you've got to get a bit more grown up about the fact that they are going to have different policies in London than they might in Manchester or Liverpool or nationally. Mm. Just on that point, Andy Street is coming on to Mid-Atlantic before the end of the month and is the metro mayor for Birmingham. So quite excited about that. Not for long. We shall see. I'm I'm somewhat surprised that he that he won in the first place. But anyway, move, moving swiftly he's on. He's not metro mayor for Birmingham. He's the metro mayor for the West Midlands and that's oh. a different geography. Oh, you know what? Stop it, will you? The West Midlands has been mislabeled for the last 40 years. The county should have been Greater Birmingham, just like Manchester is. Oh, I'm sure the people of Greater Manchester are loving that. <laughs> and actually, is that is the key reason why it didn't happen because of Coventry and, to a lesser degree, Wolverhampton. But everybody else was all up for it. But anyway, if you're selling brand West Midlands abroad, 
No one's ever heard of the West Midlands. You've got to say Greater Birmingham. Anyway, moving swiftly on. So you're putting the words great and Birmingham in the same sentence and I'm starving it. Listen, listen. I tell you what, the city has been a buzz for the last week and a half because uh, it's very, very mid-Atlantic. Not only have we put Aussie the Bull in New Street Station, but we have new owners of Birmingham City Football Club, Tom Wagner and his investment group, Tom Brady, is now one of the minor owners of Birmingham City. They've pumped money into Birmingham City Football Club like there is no tomorrow. Of a lifelong Birmingham City fan, I am so excited I could burst. Bring on the new season. Anyway, coming back, Corey, Zach Goldsmith has said that he's willing to support any Labour position around climate policy, which is at variance with the Conservative Party. How significant is this? One of the differences which really does, uh, which we can really see between uh, the Republicans and the Conservative Party is actually climate change, that we don't have too many overt climate change deniers in the Conservative Party. Yes, there are a few, but fundamentally, it's a party that believes in science. Does uh, somebody like Zach Goldsmith, who's really aligned with green issues, does that point at some real conservative turmoil so just before i answer that question uh, i think even if you call it greater birmingham i don't think the birmingham aspect is going to get much worldwide play either uh, much more than the midlands part but moving, moving on to the question that you asked um regarding zach goldsmith uh look zach goldsmith the the new ge- generation z would say he gives me the ick my parent, my Jamaican parents' generation would say my spirit doesn't take him. Um, I, 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 this guy, I just don't trust him. He seems like an absolute snake. Sorry, just based on different things. His, his when he ran for London mayor, the way he resigned from government a couple of months ago with that really childish left public letter to Rishi Sunak, and now this week, sort of these rumours of him backing Labour if they go green. I'm like, mm, yeah. I, anyway, that aside, to answer this substantive part of your question about. About turmoil in the Conservative Party, etc. And I think I think the difference between the Conservative Party and Republicans when it comes to um, the green issue is that in Britain there's been there's always been a very strong element within the Conservative Party of this sort of um, uh, the love of the green and pleasant land and this real sort of there's a real connection with um, the, the the landscape and then by extension that that then extends to what we would call you know the environment the green movement now so Corey you know why you're saying this in the edit I'm playing Jerusalem just behind anyway as you were <laughs> um, so um, turmoil I, I don't think so and the reason I don't think so is because I think the Conservative Party is just in enough turmoil in other the, 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 they've got so much turmoil as it is. I just don't think this is going to um, register much. Um, I think, like I said, I think they 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 just come across right now as, as Emma was saying, just desperate. There's there's no real direction. They just they really are rudderless. They just they are literally just limp, they look like they're limping or limping along to the next election. So so no, I don't really see it making. I don't really see. Um, much, much, much hay being made out of this internally or externally, to be honest. Um, I think Rishi Sunak will continue to, you know, platitudes of we're, 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 we're trying to, we're going green, we're doing this for the environment, we're doing that, we're doing this, we're doing the third. Um, and they'll just continue to limp on. 
Logan, Hawaii is literally burning as we record. How is that playing out in the American media in terms of, here we go, here is another sign that maybe temperatures in the planet are actually rising? Yeah, there's been a big shift on this in the way the American people view it over the past 10 years or so. It's definitely getting some play. And it's people can just feel it, right? I mean, this has been by far the hottest summer since we've been able to record these things. And it's probably the hottest summer we've ever had. I read that a few days earlier this summer, they had the three hottest days scientists believe in since humans have been on the planet, um, if not just outright in the planet's history. And so, you know, in Americans now, you're seeing high majority support more investments in wind, solar, 67% support that, 69% of Americans support U.S. becoming carbon neutral. And there's some Republicans in that number as well, and it's a clean majority of Democrats and independents. The question right now is how high of a priority is it? I think it's a much higher priority in the U.K. right now, but it's becoming more and more of a priority every year for Americans. And for young Americans in particular, it's near the top of the list for them, um, which will mean it'll be at the top of the list for Democrats. Now, you know, along with you guys are saying the differences between Republicans and conservatives, why haven't you seen a shift to the Republican Party? Well, I think that goes back to, again, if it's important enough to Americans, they will shift. Right now, it is more worth it for them to get the extra donations because that's a big part of where uh, their donations are coming from. And I don't think money is always the explanation of some of the more toxic parts of American politics, but it is sometimes. And in this case, it's definitely gotcha. one of them. Right. Um there you go, folks. I think that's been your, your Mid-Atlantic this week. Emma said you needed a pithy one. Now, I added uh, to that. I was properly pithy. Uh, Logan was pretty pithy. Corey came out with some rather incendiary and rude remarks about the city uh, and, the, and the county of my birth. I'd just like to remind him, Birmingham is the second city of the UK. I couldn't even tell you what the third one is but it's not the place where you reside, sir. It does one-upmanship when it comes to cities and, and where we live. Logan, as our token American, why don't you tell us what you've been up to for the past week and where people can catch you on the socials? Yeah, I've been launching a lot of stuff for the Republican primary lately. It's the only place on the internet right now on my site, Race to the WH, where you can see how individual different groups of voters are planning to vote. So I'm tracking like white evangelical Christians, college-educated voters, and how they're, you know, over 100 polls I have in there um, are suggesting they want to vote. Now, why that's important, if you know, remember in past primaries, if you're following it, you know, you often see someone like Mike Huckabee or Rick Santorum or Ted Cruz dominate with white evangelical Christians. They can't If they can't break beyond those other groups, they're not able to expand. Same thing with Joe Biden, except the opposite. Uh, with black voters, he did very well. That's a bigger base than any of the groups I mentioned. But he was able to expand that beyond other voters. And his strength with that group helped him stay on board. I'm giving you way too long of an answer, Roy Field, in my bad. Uh, but if you want to learn more about that, go check out Race to the White House. We just start, launched it this week. So just after just saying that you were pithy, you decided not to be pithy. Just saying. Yeah, I lost just, it. Just saying. So from an unpithy Logan, who gave us lots of info, Emma, what have you been up to in the last seven days? Um, various things, as always. I had a really good session writing some music for my next play, which was very, very fun, um, with my amazing um, music writing partner, who is just genius um, and makes me sound good, which is very hard. So Andrew um, Lloyd Webber. <laughs> far better, far, far better. Um, I interviewed Rob Burley recently, and that came out on Friday, so you can um, hear that on my other podcast, House of Comments. Uh, and it's a really interesting interview about TV, in, um, political TV interviews, and what they mean, and various 
the, the competing interests of audiences, politicians and journalists and how they all come together. And other than that, I've just been fanning around on Twitter. Hmm. And where can people find you on X? Uh, I am at Emma Burnell underscore. Smashing. Uh, Corey Bernard. Uh, are you a blue or a red? I know I've asked you this question before, but I can't remember the answer. You're going to say you support Manchester United, you're a red, aren't you? I, I, I'm taking hiatus from football. That means you're a Manchester um, United But I used to be a red. You're a Manchester United fan. All right, so basically you're a glory hunter. You're, you're a plastic supporter. How can people find you on said social media, sir? And what have you been up to? So I am not on X. Um, I, 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 I resigned from Twitter last year um, because of the toxicity of it. Um, I, I was just tired of it. However, I am trying to, I am realizing that the world exists on X and X alone in certain circles. So I'm trying to figure out a way to return to X uh, and, and keep my, my mental health in check at the same time. So once I figure that out, I will let you know. But at the moment, I am I'm in the real world only. If you uh, figure that out, Corey, you can make a mint from telling the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> also, if you want to help your mental health, just get off the Manchester United bandwagon completely. Support a team, maybe a tear down, a real team. Team, which is the team of the blue collar, maybe like Birmingham City. Enjoy football. Don't just see it as glitz, billion pound footballers and match day highlights every week. Get, get yourself, come down to Birmingham. I'll take it. All times without mentioning the fact that it's the Women's World Cup right now and, they, and the England are through to the semi-finals. You know what? That's a fair comment. That's a fair comment. And you know what? You know what we're going to do next week, Emma, right? We're going to talk about sport. And maybe we can really focus on football because as somebody who loves football, I've come very slowly to the women's game. Very slowly. And Jamaica got all the way to the to the round of sixteen. To the quarters, sorry. Right? We beat we beat Brazil. And even then it didn't quite excite me, but I just about got there. And I think considering how well England did at the Euros, i.e. winning it. The media came out exposure of this. Takes well, yes, it did. You know, the women brought it home, but the the media profile of this World Cup has actually been slightly disappointing. It hasn't quite been as much as I thought it was being would be, considering England are clearly one of the favourites. Anyway, that's a conversation to be had at another time, and I've fallen into that trap. There's me talking about the new football season and Birmingham City, and not the fact that there's a Women World Cup going on. Uh, there you go, folks. Um, a little pointer from the feminist on the on the panel here, Emma Burnell. She's corrected me. Uh, Logan is now going to be following. Who, wait a minute, Logan. Who are you going to be following now? The the US women's team have been booted uh, out of so, the world so, by the Swedes. You know, I'm not necessarily proud of it. When sports and my team gets knocked out, I usually bum out. Logan, first off, it's sport. There's no S on the end. It's sport, singular and plural. All right. So. <laughs> hey, I didn't say it. I almost made a joke about us. Uh... You guys say sports, but then you also say math. Exactly. Exactly. Did you say maths? I get that one. It's Wait, what maths. do you guys say? Maths. Yeah. Really? Maths. Because that's that what it is. Well, now I get why you're correcting me on the yeah. sports because that sounds so profoundly weird to me that I can understand why the sports can get in your head. Um, <laughs> I have three pet hates when it comes to American English: math, maths, aluminum, aluminium, 
and I could care less. It's I couldn't care less. I'm sympathetic on the third. And you know what, right? I, I tell this story all the time. Second week I was in America, um, had a meeting with somebody, and I turned around to him and I said, so uh, we'll have another meeting again in a fortnight. He went, what? I went, in a fortnight. He went, what? I went, in a fortnight. He said, I beg your pardon. I thought this man was a moron. I went, in a fortnight. I didn't know how, to, how else to ex- express it. And he went, what is that? I nearly fell over backwards. Americans don't use expression a fortnight for, for, for two weeks. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. No, no Britain knows it. Only Britons that live in America know this. Yelling at you now, but I do want to know what the hell you've got against the letter U. The letter U? In what way? Well, why isn't it in the word colour or flavour? Yes. Or flavour? Well, I actually know the reason for that. So when when Webster did the dictionary, it was seen as... um, linguistic independence it was deliberately done to differentiate itself from british english written british english deliberate when uh i mean was george third particularly fond of you (laughs) words well this was you know they'd barely won their uh, war of independence barely won it by the skin of their teeth and and to cement it they decided to expunge the, the, the letter u from the word color I mean, it's that, bizarre i, I think, think that's that, why you guys burned the white house down right in retaliation true that <laughs> true that <laughs> a very 19th century british thing to do <laughs> Right, we we need to wrap this up, but this this has descended into something quite lovely. Uh, Don't forget, folks, left to centre politics is right thinking politics. We don't demonise, we try not to demonise our right-wing brothers and sisters. We try and meet them in the common space to talk about the issues and, and give them a dose of common sense. I'm Royfield Brown. You can email me at royfield at gmail.com, R-O-I-F-I-E-L-D at gmail.com. We'll see you all next week for another rip-roaring, barnstorming, in-depth look at the cultural and political differences between the US and the UK. Ta-ra. Take care. Bye-bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.